everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka a man who, in probably a few months, is gonna be rocking a Justin Field jersey. How you doing today, man? I'm doing good, and you are probably more than likely right. Yeah, he had a great he had a great second half in the preseason. First uh, half, kind of so so. He fumbled, but he recovered it. Got two touchdowns in the second half. So. The hype is looking pretty real, and with the preseason going on, I'm sure there are a lot of other rookies who will be garnering some hype. And we'll be getting to that a bit later, but before we do, got to do the plugs, of course. Be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of my lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get this show kicked off. So Ethan this past weekend was a celebration of the latest inductees of the NFL Hall of Fame. Great players such as Megatron, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Edrin, Ed oh my gosh, my brain, Edrin James, Isaac, um, Isaac Bruce, just so many great talented figures in the NFL. And it got me thinking, who's up next? So out of the players in the league today who are 30 and under, so not guys, of course, like the Tom Brady's and, you know, the vets who we know are going to make it in, give me five young cats who you can see making it to the Hall of Fame with the way that their career is going right now. 30 and under. Derrick Henry, Patrick Mahomes. Um, I don't know. Is Gronk 30? Who? Gronk is over 30. Okay. Uh, Travis Hill. Over 30. Over 30, crap. Uh, I would say, I don't know if Aaron Donald's over 30. Is he? I think so. If he's not over 30, he's like right at 30. Alright. I'm going to include him then. Uh, Darius Leonard. Uh, AJ. Probably AJ Brown. Yeah, he turned 30. I'm sorry, he turned 30 in May. So, he just missed the cutoff, but he's definitely a Hall of Famer for sure. Uh, AJ Brown and uh, TJ White. Fair enough. All right, so for me, I said Derrick Henry, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, he's 27, so he definitely fit in. Patrick Mahomes, George Kittle, and TJ White. So, pretty similar list. Across the board. All right, so what about the next year's Hall of Fame? So here are some of the players who will be eligible for the first. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, it, for the first, uh, their first chance at the Hall of Fame. And so what we're going to do with this is something similar. We're also going to be going at picking the guys that we would take. So we got Tony Romo, Andre Johnson, Demarcus Ware. Um, Anquan Bolden, Vince Wilford, uh, Chad Greenway, Mario Williams, Robert Mathis, and Steve Smith. So, of those guys, give me five that you think have the best chance of making it year one. Vince Wilford, Steve Smith, um, Demarcus Lord. I mean, Demarcus Ware. I'm tripping. Uh, I'm not even gonna lie, not, not Tony Romo. Uh, I don't think Tony Romo gonna make it either. Let me see. Andre Johnson and I'm missing somebody who just said the name. Slipped my mind. Steve Smith. 
Robert Mathis. Fair enough. All right, so for me, I'm going with uh, Demarcus Ware. I think he's definitely a lock. Robert Mathis, Anquan Bolden, Steve Smith, and Andre Johnson. All right, so let's go ahead and talk some latest trades and pin trades that could be taking place. Starting off with Joe Schobert to the Steelers. He will be donning the Steelers after being traded away from the Jags for a late-round pick. Um, thoughts on that trade? Yeah, and especially because reportedly um, linebacker has kind of been a bit of a sore spot with regards to um, this past offseason. So I think that Schobert is a nice addition. I mean, he's a pretty stout tackler, does his job. He's not the flashiest guy on the field, but he definitely gets the job done. So I like that trade a lot. Uh, continuing on with the Steelers, wide receiver James Washington reportedly has requested a trade. He did so last week after uh, the Hall of Fame game where he mentioned that he really wasn't getting many targets, which is not a lie. And he's a guy that has a big, pretty good fan base, particularly of fellow um, Oklahoma State alum, Dez Bryant, who mentioned a few teams that he would like to see him on, such as potentially uh, the Vikings, pairing him up with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, maybe even the Chiefs, pretty much a guy he has a pretty high endorsement of. So, in your opinion, Ethan, what team do you think should go after James Washington, who is a bit of a speedster? Uh, a speedster. Being honest, I'm going to say the Oakland Raiders simply because we both know that their wide receiver wide receiver core isn't that great. We also know that they have another speedster in um, Henry Ruggs. But you can never go wrong with having multiple guys in the stretch of field. Yes, but all right, sorry interrupting you, but yeah, I agree, um, especially because right now we really don't know who their number one receiver is going to be. You know, you're kind of assuming that Henry Ruggs is going to be able to step up, maybe even other speedster and John Brown, but you don't really know. Uh, for me, this is, you know what, I'm going to actually go in the route of the Philadelphia Eagles. Main reason I'm going with the Eagles is just because they're a team that really needs they just need some extra oomph on offense, offensive firepower. Right now, you know, they drafted Dev Devontae Smith with the hopes that he'll eventually be the number one guy. But after that, the depth is kind of questionable. And while his game isn't necessarily too different from what they already have, I think that by looking at James Washington, I think he has a higher ceiling than the other guys in the wide receiver group, not named Devontae Smith. So that's a move that I think I would make. Speaking of another move that could be made, Jacksonville Jaguars, though all the attention seems to be on their offense and Trevor Lawrence, it seems that they could be potentially thinking of trading former first-round pick from last year, C.J. Henderson, the cornerback. Uh, his name has been brought up in quite a few trade conversations. So if he is moved, where could you see him going? Gilmore, but if they're not able to get Stephon, why not get a young guy that you can potentially grow to be a lot down corner of the future? 
Yeah, I'm actually in agreement with you with the Saints. Things are a little bit even more difficult considering that they also just lost Patrick Robinson, who announced his retirement earlier this week. And I think that that creates a really big hole on that opposite corner side. Marshawn Lattimore is a guy who's kind of fallen off of the last couple of years. So you need somebody else who you can have next to him, who not only can play, but is also going to be a young and cheap option, especially considering the Saints cap situation. So yeah, I'm in agreement with you on that one. I think that the Saints will be a really good move for him, especially because they really didn't do too much to add to that cornerback position. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some more training camp injuries because unfortunately it happened. Starting with my Baltimore Ravens, wide receiver Rashad Bateman is going to be out until September with a groin injury. You and I kind of talked about um, the injury and how we thought it affected the team. And I'm still holding my stance of I'm not too broken up about it because you can't really cry about something that you never had. And plus, considering Baltimore's offense, I don't think he was going to be a guy who got like 10 targets a game anyway. I think he would just be one of those guys who over the course of the season got better instead of like immediately coming on the field and having a major impact. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Absolutely. All right, so talking about another one. Now, this is something that I think carries a bit more weight. Um, it was already announced uh, by the Dallas Cowboys that Dak Prescott was going to be undergoing an MRI for a supposed shoulder injury that he had sustained at practice after much uproar from the fans. Um, the Dallas Cowboys tweeted out, it's not a setback, it's not a reason to worry. The QB Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MRI. And while they're saying it's not a reason to worry, Michael Irvin, of course, Cowboys legend, said differently, said there's something bigger going on here. So we know that Dak is coming off of that ankle injury that ended his season early. Now with the shoulder injury, are you worried about the health of Dak going into this season? I think I would be because typically sometimes in sports when you get a major injury, you start this cycle of being consistently injured. Like, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the perfect example. But it's been a couple instances where a player, he will be healthy for the majority, for like a steady period of his career. He will get that one major injury, and then from there, he will consistently get like smaller, nagging injuries. Yeah. And I think this is something that might happen with that. And I mean, as a, I'm not a Cowboys fan, quite honestly, I want to know in every game, but as a guy, as a football fan, it's like when you, especially with the quarterback position, when you aren't able to be on the field, that's your, like you, you're losing your greatest asset of being on the field. So I think it's a big blow. Yeah, I think this isn't necessarily a football analogy, but it kind of goes to what you were saying about getting that injury and then them piling on. Uh, Derrick Rose is a perfect example of, was a guy who was routinely healthy, suffered that big knee injury, and then from that point on, it just, every year it kind of seemed to be something. 
So I just, in what you're saying, yeah, I do agree with you. I think it's just one of those things where it's like, on the one hand, you don't want to read too much into it. But on the other hand, it's like you never really know. Of course, you want these guys to be healthy. But in the realistic sense, football is a very physical sport. And because of that physicality, who's to say that, you know, you're going to be able to be upright all season, even if it's not necessarily an ankle injury, it could be something else. So, yeah, like while I'm not like. I don't think it's going to magically be like something that just ends his season. And definitely, I think that it could become something that, you know, leads to bigger issues. Because I'll say this, you're not getting an MRI just for fun. Usually you're doing it for a specific reason. But all right, so like we do every year, it's time to do a review of the NFL divisions ahead of the season. We're about three weeks away from the year and I'm so excited and we're going to kick this off doing the AFC and NFC East how it goes is we break down the NFC East into a few uh, different categories and then in the end we give our bold predictions for the division and we give our division winners so starting off with the AFC East who would you say is the most underrated team in that division AFC East so that's Patriots, Dolphins, Jets, and Bills. AFC, I think the most underrated team right now probably will be the Patriots. And the reason I say this is because they, a lot of people are looking at that offense and looking at the quarterback position and kind of like, what are they going to do? But a lot of people are forgetting that on the other side of the ball, a lot of the players that opted out last season are returning. And they had a formidable defense last season for extended period. So you're adding, you're actually adding starters to an already good defense. And we both know that Bill Belichick is a defensive guy first. So I would probably say the New England Patriots. I almost won with the Patriots, and I do think that they definitely deserve to be in the conversation. But I want to go on a different route. I'm going to say the New York Jets. Now, I'm not saying this because I think they're going to make the playoffs or anything, but I do think that they are going to be a significantly improved team than where they were a year ago. Um, with Zach Wilson, you're not really sure what you're getting out of him. But I, for one, the wide receiving core is much better after getting Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, who we're hearing a lot of things about and we'll get to later on. Defensively, they've gotten better in bringing in guys like Carl Lawson, of course, bringing in a, a defensively-minded head coach and Robert Sala. I think that the Jets... Like I said, I, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team this year or anything, but I do think that they are going to outperform some expectations. I think that as of right now, they're doing solid things to prepare for the future. All right, so moving on to the most overrated team. This is where I would put the Miami Dolphins. I think that, don't get me wrong, their defense played tremendous last year, but it's just I have a hard time thinking they're going to be able to replicate that success also, I don't think that their receiving core, or really that offense in general, is as good as people are trying to make it out to be. While Jalen Waddle is a very nice addition at wide receiver, I mean, Devontae Parker is still pretty hit or miss. Will Fuller is great when he's on the field, but injuries have been a concern. I'm not really sold on their running back group. And then it really just all comes down to the shoulders of Tua and if he'll be able to produce and if he's healthy, if he can really push the envelope. So while I can understand why there is some excitement around the Dolphins, I just don't see them as good as a lot of people think they are. Um, for me, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. Yes, I know that Josh Allen had a fantastic season, but is he going to actually be able to reproduce it or get better in this coming season? 
he just got the bag, so we don't know. Like, they paid him as one of the top five best quarterbacks, but he only did it for one season. And honestly, in my personal opinion, they their offense is incredibly imbalanced. Like, Josh Allen will throw for, like, 30 to 40 times a game, and they have no sign of a run game. They don't even have a sign of a defense. Like, a lot of the games that they played in last year were shootouts, and they won because they put up a lot of points. You run into a team with a good defense, and they know how to run the game and manage the clock. Can you really make plays to win the game? And also, in my personal opinion, if Stephon B so happens to get hurt, I think that kind of shifts the offense because outside of Cole Beasley, nobody else on the offense is a receiver or a tight end really shows that they can make, like, game-breaking plays. I'm going to only disagree with you on that because they did sign Emmanuel Sanders. But, yeah, no, I definitely hear you on that. Um, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you, especially with that run game. That run game is – I know um, I watched the press conference where um, Brian De- Dorball, their um, offensive coordinator, was saying it was by design. They purposely threw the ball so much. But I'm calling buffoonery on that cause just because I don't think you really want to put your young quarterback at risk so much. Like, I feel like you have to be able to rely on your run game at least at some times. And even when they have tried it, it really hasn't worked. But I definitely feel you on that about the Bills. All right, moving on to our favorite player in the division. Thought it would change. It's not changing. It's still cornerback Tredavious White for me of the Buffalo Bills. Um, for me, to try to play in the division, I am going to have to go with Wyman Christian Williams. Actually, no, Quentin Williams. Quentin Williams, that's a fair one. Space. He's due for a big year as well. All right, so next one, prove it year. Which player do you feel like is under the most pressure to produce this season? This is the obvious answer to me. I would have to say Cam Newton is simply because of all the pressures that come with him being the quarterback. They just drafted Matt Jones to potentially replace him. And honestly, like Cam, he showed flashes last season in the, in the early part of the season. I almost went Cam, but kind of like you, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say Josh Allen. Biggest reason is last year he's coming off a year where his name was involved in the MVP conversation, made a major leap from his first two years in the league, made the Bills seem like a team that could contend for the Super Bowl. That's cool and dandy. But can you do it again? And not only that, but not only do you have all that pressure, but you finally, you got a big old contract extension. You're getting paid like a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. So I think that, while I do agree with you about Cam, I think Cam is under a lot of pressure as well. I think that with Josh Allen, it's more so he has the nation's attention, but now can you keep it? Because now you're kind of seen as a golden boy or the next man up. But it's a whole other thing to be seen as that and then actually producing it in another year. So I think he's under a lot of pressure this year. All right, so which rookie are you watching out of the division? Um, for me, I'm honestly watching two. Obviously, I think the first one would be Nate Jones simply because he's a quarterback. He's in a competition battle with Cam But the second one I'm definitely watching is Elijah Moore. I actually wanted the Tennessee Titans to draft Elijah Moore, so when I thought he got drafted to the Jets, I was extremely upset. But I think he's going to be one of those guys that comes in and he, he just makes a ton of plays. Like, he's a gamer. He's a football 
he he might not make all the pretty plays, but he will make the plays if need. I feel you. I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball. I'm still on the Gregory Rousseau uh, bandwagon. Biggest reason being, I just, there's a lot to like about Gregory Rousseau. Um, I mean, his first year at Miami where he saw significant playing time, he got over 15 sacks. And this was his first true time as a defensive end. And though he's a raw player, if he's coached correctly, he could be one of the most prolific young edge rushers in the league. And, I mean, looking back at the Buffalo Bills a year ago, their defense played very well, particularly their secondary, but they struggled at getting uh, a pass rush and I think that Rousseau could be a guy who can really help fix that and if they can do that as well as their offense continue to make pace I think that the Buffalo Bills can be really solid this year alright so who is your breakout player of the division who you think that is a guy who hasn't been talked about much but is on the cusp of having the best year of his career honestly I'm going to go with Corey Davis and someone that is a bias because he does love my fantasy titles. But I think that he, a lot of the things that played him in the past was he wasn't able to stay healthy. And I think that if he can stay healthy, especially with this Jets organization, like, he's going to be wide receiver one. He's going to get the looks. And he's shown that he's a guy, in my opinion, that potentially make the plays that a wide receiver one can make. And I think he's going to put him all right. For me, I'm going to say another Jet, and I'm going to say cornerback Bryce Hall. Now, he's a guy a couple who came out of the draft a couple years ago who I want to say got drafted in the fifth or sixth round but would have gone higher had it not been for an ACL injury. He made some solid plays last year with the Jets, but I think that this year is really going to be a great opportunity for him to show just how good he was in college, and I think that it can translate, especially looking at the Jets roster right now. Their cornerback group is really lacking that star, and I think that this will be the perfect opportunity for him to step in and show what he can do. All right, so bold prediction for the AFC East. I don't know necessarily how bold it is, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think Mac Jones ends up getting the start from week one and leads the Patriots to a wild card playoff berth. Well, no, it's crazy. We basically said the same thing. I was going to say I believe Mac Jones is going to start anywhere between week one to week three. Yeah, I think that because I was having a conversation about it with my friend Malik, who's a huge Cam Newton fan, and we were talking about the preseason game. And honestly, the thing about Mac Jones is even though his numbers may not have been the prettiest, he's the type of quarterback that perfectly fits what the Patriots have been doing for over 20 years. He fits the mold. He plays a similar game to that of Tom Brady when he was there. And so it's pretty much just a perfect fit as opposed to with Cam Newton when you essentially have to change the offense completely. So I think that's really going to be the biggest thing that leads Mac Jones to be in the starter. All right, but even though with that being said, I think Bills still win the division. Yeah, because I was going to say I watched a majority of their preseason game last night. And, uh, what was it last night? Thursday night. night. Yeah, Thursday, I'm sorry. I'm getting my days mixed up. And Mac Jones, when he stepped on the field, the offense just moved so much better. It was smoother. It was more crisp. It was like he, he commanded the offense where he made smart decisions. He didn't force things. He, he just like, he, like I told you, me and you talked about it off air. I think he looked like a poor man's son, but the way that he maneuvered that offense. 
And honestly, as much as we hate it, it works. I mean, that's just what the Patriots way has been for years, and it has worked. And so I don't see any reason for them to change it. All right, so let's flip over to the NFC East, starting with who we think is the most underrated team. I'm, I'm going to say the New York Giants. I get on Daniel Jones' head a lot, and rightfully so. But I think if you look at that overall roster, if you ask me, I think that they have the best put-together roster of that division. Running backs are strong, wide receivers are good. The offensive line is in, but their tight ends are nice. Evan Ingram has shown potential when he doesn't drop the ball. Kyle Rudolph is going to be there, and we know how good of a tight end he is. Defensively, they're pretty much – they don't necessarily have a weakness. Um, So, overall, I just think in terms of roster, I think the Giants are the best team. But like I said, quarterback is a big question. But, I mean, compared to the other teams in the division, I would take their roster. For me, I'm going to say a team that is very similar to what you just said, but I'm going with the Washington football team, simply because they have questions at quarterback, like, is he going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick? Is he going to be Taylor Heineke? And the reality is they have two good receivers, and Trey Samuel and Trey McLaurin. They, the tight end position isn't that great, but it's serviceable. And they have a great running back, upcoming running back, in my opinion, Antonio Gibson, that can rush the ball and make plays out of the backfield. And they have a top five defense, in my personal opinion. Only thing is, only thing is hindering them is quarterback play. All right, so moving on to the most overrated team. We're probably going to have the same answer, but who you got? Yeah, without a doubt. I think that while I understand Dak is a very likable player, he doesn't overshadow just how bad that defense is. And it's, no, like, I'm sorry. Like, in today's NFL, without at least an average defense, you're not going to have that much success. And right now, I can't even put the Cowboys' defense at average. Like, it's not a good defense. They still have some problems. It's it's not it's not a good look. So yeah, definitely most overrated. All right, who's your favorite player in that division? My favorite player in that division, I am going to have to say I'm not gonna have to say Z. I love I like Z as a player, so I don't like him sometimes with all the seal of the season, but as a player I really do like Z. Yeah, my heart belongs to Saquon still. I mean, I'm a huge Saquon fan. Actually, he's my favorite running back in the league, if we're being honest. And I'm hoping for a big year out of him, but the biggest key is you got to stay healthy. All right, so prove it year. Who is having a prove it year in the NFC East for you? This is a very easy one, and you might have the same person. Daniel Jones. This is a guy who has... All the, all the tools needed to be a good quarterback as far as weapons. He has Kenny Galladay. He has Evan Jaber. He has, um, what's the other receiver? Could, Giants. Uh, Sterling Shepard. Yeah, Sterling Shepard. And the other guy that came on last year. That Darius Slayton. Yeah, Darius Slayton. Um, did they draft Kadarius Tony too? Yep. So he has all of these weapons in place. I know his offensive line isn't the greatest, but it's like if you're able to, like, it's put up a shut up. Like, maybe you talked about it over or off the air, where it's like this is the year that decides if he's going to stay a starting 
quarterback in the NFL because you have weapons. Yes, you don't have an O line, but you have weapons that can make plays for you. Yeah, without a doubt, I'm in total agreement with you with Daniel Jones. I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head. All right, so next up, prove it. I mean, I prove it. Your breakout player. This I'm gonna go another quarterback, and I'm gonna say Taylor Heineke. I think that while you know Ryan Fitzpatrick was brought in to be the number one quarterback, I do think that the difference between the two isn't that. Big. I think that we saw some nice flashes from Taylor Heineke, and I think that with the opportunity to get more playing time, I think that he could really compete for that starting role, and who knows, maybe even get the starting job earlier in the season. Even if he doesn't, you know, before within the first few weeks, I do still see him seeing significant playing time under center for Washington, and I think that he has an opportunity to really make some plays for them. to see Kenny ball out like you said those Memphis Tigers always rooting for him in some form or fashion all right so bold prediction for the NFC East what you got could honestly see that all right mine is about the Dallas Cowboys I my bold prediction is Zeke has the best year of his career after Dak shoulders injury proves to be worse than expected we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier about if we were concerned about it or not I think that the need for the MRI maybe even multiple holding him out I think that that could be a precursor of things to come and with that kind of health being in question right now I think it's really going to open up opportunities for Zeke and that run game particularly after the year that he just had where it seemed like for the first time all the crap he got as a player was warranted and I think that he's really going to be due for a bounce back uh you said you got Washington winning the division I think I'm still going to go with the Giants winning it, but I don't think it has anything to do with uh, Daniel Jones. I think he's still gone after this year. But, all right, before we start playing our game of believable or buffoonery, let's talk some preseason games. I know you mentioned that you really are uh, trying to get more into it this year. So let's kind of talk about the week one matchups. I'm about to send them to you now just so I don't have to, like, rattle them off. Uh, which preseason game this week are you most looking forward to? For me personally, I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, it's the allure of the first overall pick getting his first NFL action. We finally get to see Trevor Lawrence. But there's a few other things I want to see. I want to see Travis Etienne under center. I want to see how he really um, handles those responsibilities. There's some pieces on that Jags defense that I'm interested in seeing. I want to see um, the safety that they got. Uh, Andrew Sisco out of uh, Syracuse. I want to see how he plays. Chad Griffin is getting his first time with the Jags in game. And then on the Browns side of things, I want to see how their defense looks. They spent a lot of money, a lot of draft picks on that side of the ball. So I want to see how their newer guys, particularly those young cats, really um, get used to the and acclimated to the team. Uh, for me, I am going to say the Battle of California, the 
Justin Herbert isn't playing the preseason, unfortunately. They already said it. Well, well, Ben Rowan's my pick. Uh, let me look at it again. Actually, no. In case the case, I am going to go with the Battle of New York, both the Jets and the Giants. I want to see what Zach Wilson is going to look like. I've been hearing that he's, he's had some really bright moments uh, in trying to kill Elijah Moore. He's been showing out. I want to see what Daniel Jones is going to look like. We just talked about him. Like, how is he going to look like doing a couple drives in first game offense? So that would be it. And really, I would also agree with you with the Browns and the Jags, just simply because I want to see what Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne look like because they're in my division. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You always care more when it's divisional opponents. All right, speaking of my divisional opponent, believable or buffoonery, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, two guys who are always going to be linked together as a part of that 2018 draft class. Of course, you can always throw in Lamar into that mix too. But kind of talking about contracts after signing his, Dominique Foxworth of Get Up on ESPN said, Josh Allen had one season that was better than Baker Mayfield. The rest of his seasons were not better than any of Baker Mayfield's seasons. So, believable or buffoonery, Baker Mayfield has had a better overall career than Josh Allen. Uh, I'm going to say buffoonery. Only to this point, I honestly would say that, in my personal opinion, they would take for that. Like they, neither one of them had a overly great career. They both had moments where they uh, had bright spots. They also had moments where they really played horribly. Yeah. I think that the only, I would call buffoonery on this, the only season that Baker was better than Josh Allen was his rookie year. Last year, um, Joe, even before Stephon Diggs got there, Josh Allen didn't play terrible. Had 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, nine picks compared to Baker's year where he looked like a deer in headlights a lot of times. And then you factor in this past year. I mean, I would pretty much say that Josh Allen has definitely had the better career. Um, as far as him going tit for tat, I would take what Josh Allen did year two over what Baker did as a rookie. So I would disagree with this claim. All right, another claim, this one out of the NFC West, talking wide receivers. A.J. Green was asked on his thoughts of the best wide receiver duo in the league, and he said, of course they were. Nobody has done what me and D-Hop have done. So in terms of overall careers, D-Hop and A.J. Green are the most accomplished wide receiver duo in the league. believable on this because like you said just in terms of comparing both of their careers I would say they are the most accomplished duo I mean but nobody really has that fear of AJ Brown like they did you know I mean AJ Green four or five years ago um so I think that that's why like when we talk about the best wide receiver duos their names don't come up but in terms of overall accomplishment I would definitely put them up there in that regard. All right, talking about Deshaun Watson, 
we all know the Deshaun Watson drama. But, hey, the Texans still feel like there's a chance that they can convince him to stay. In fact, they believe this so much that they have not returned calls from other teams regarding trades for Deshaun Watson because there is hope hope and belief within the organization that they can open him up to the idea of staying in Houston. So, believable or buffoonery, Deshaun Watson will be convinced to stay with the Houston Texans. That's buffoonery. I believe that shit be said a long time ago. And honestly, on a side tangy type of note, I'm kind of tired of the Texans constantly going back and forth with things in their mind. Like, make a decision. I understand he's a great talent, but make a decision and stick to it. Yeah. I'm going buffoonery on this as well. I think that too much has happened over the course of this offseason. And I think that, you know, even not even on the football side of things, I think that Deshaun just wants to get out of Houston right now. Like, for the personal, you know, everything else, I think that Houston right now is not necessarily the best place for him, regardless of, you know, what they do with the team. Because even before this was all happening, he told the team what he wanted. He wanted more input in helping to build the team up into what it can be to be a formidable team. And they did the complete opposite of everything that he wanted. So I think that he's kind of just checked out mentally. Yeah, he's at practice because he doesn't want to get fined. And I'm sure he would like the distraction from everything else. But, nah, I think that I think that ship is sailed as well. I don't think it's going to happen. All right, so we've seen it in many uh, instances of older quarterbacks are standing in the league longer. The Kurt Warners, the Brett Favre, and of course, most recently, the Tom Brady's. It seems like quarterbacks are playing forever. When asked about playing for a long time, Derek Carr, quarterback of the Oak, I mean Las Vegas Raiders said, I feel like I'm 20. I honestly believe this, that our generation, the way we can take care of our bodies with football, I think 30 is the new 20. So, believable or buffoonery, NFL quarterbacks are going to start playing into their 40s and beyond. I think it's believable simply because Tom Brady's doing it now. Drew Brees is on the cusp of doing it. Um, Philip Rivers is on the cusp of doing it. And who knows, he might come back. I think, like you said, the way that these athletes are able to take care of their bodies now, and also just the rules that are in place. Like, quarterbacks are protected way more now than they have been in the past. Like, so I can definitely see a couple guys playing into their voice. Yeah, I believe so too. I think I think it was Russell Wilson who said that he wanted to play till he was like forty five. And the way I mean, players like Russ and others who spend so much money on the upkeep of their bodies, I can see them lasting that long in play. Now, would they play at an efficient level? Who knows? But I could definitely see players uh, spending more time in the league. All right, so. Speaking of a guy who, even though he plays for my rival, I thoroughly enjoy watching him play in the league. T.J. Watt, who is due for a big contract extension. Uh, Watt is reportedly seeking at least $100 million guaranteed money on an upcoming potential uh, extension. So, believable buffoonery. The Steelers should make T.J. Watt a $100 million man. I say believable. Yeah, literally. All right, so you mentioned uh, Elijah Moore a bit ago as the rookie that you're watching out of the AFC East, and he also has kind of developed a bit of a fan club among talented wide receivers. First of all, A.J. Brown, your receiver for the Tennessee Titans, spoke on former teammate Elijah Moore and said, I'll bet my game checks on Elijah Moore winning rookie of the year. 
Odell Beckham Jr. even second that saying maybe an all pro as a rookie. So believable or buffoonery, Elijah Moore should be considered the favorite for rookie of the year. And what what I do like about Elijah Moore and his situation is just considering that, you know, the other wide receivers around him, it would not be like a total impossibility for him not to become the wide receiver one with the Jets. But I think that there are other receivers who I think have potential to put up more yards, like Devontae Smith being in Philly. I mean, they need him to be a big producer. Jamar Chase with the Bengals just because – well, then the thing is they don't necessarily need him as much because they have other bodies, but because the Bengals have so many other targets, I think that that can create a lot of opportunities for him. But I do think that Elijah Moore has a lot of potential, but yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on this one. All right, continuing on with A.J. Brown, because he's done a lot of talking over this past week. He was asked about his quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, and said, Ryan Tannehill isn't in the top 10 talk or whatever talk, and to me it is nonsense. So... We kind of talked about this off the air, but believable or buffoonery, Ryan Tannehill is definitely a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. It is believable, especially now that Drew Brees is retired. It is believable. Like, if you think about it, let's name, quote unquote, top 10 quarterbacks right now. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, um, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, who else would you put? You can say that if you want. I'd throw Lamar in there. I'm not going to hold Lamar. Throw Lamar in. Lamar. Josh Allen. I would put Josh Allen in there, too. Josh Allen. Like, I can legit, especially now with Drew Brees being gone, I can legit see Brian Tannehill being the ninth or tenth best quarterback in the NFL. Especially when you look at his numbers that he put up since he's been a starter in Tennessee. Like he's sort of numbers better than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I'll, I'll call it believable too. Um, I told you before, like I would take him over Derek Carr, take him over Baker Mayfield. Um, just a couple weeks ago, we listed our top five quarterbacks, and so outside of that, like he's like in that eight to ten range. I would put him in there. Um, I think that the reason why he just doesn't get so much pop is just considering Derrick Henry's there. And so, like, the casual fans think, oh, the Titans offense just goes because of Derrick Henry. But in reality, Ryan Tannehill has, has been doing a really fine job since being named their starting quarterback, too. So I will, I will put him at top 10. He definitely has a strong argument for it. But, all right, let's talk the New Orleans Saints, who have had a tough offseason for many reasons, and it could potentially be getting tougher. Starting with um, a couple weeks ago when the reports came out that Michael Thomas is going to miss – 
a bunch of the early season due to an ankle injury. Apparently, he hadn't returned the Saints' calls for months with regards to getting the surgery. After those reports came out, Michael Thomas, as everybody else seems to do, took to social media, to which he uh, made a post saying, they tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. Then, that's when things get more confusing. From there, um, it was reports that my, the Saints made Michael Thomas play or had him play, even though he was not medically cleared, making his injury worse than what it was, which is something that Michael Thomas did not necessarily say verbatim, but he did like to tweet about it. A lot has really been happening in NOLA, but apparently head coach Sean Payton and Michael Thomas have recently had a meeting to move past their frustrations, and things seem to potentially be on the up and up. But believable or buffoonery, Michael Thomas will be a New Orleans Saints for the whole season. I'm calling buffoonery. I think he ends up getting traded. Yeah, me too. I think for a number, for a number of reasons, like Austin him has a friction with the head coach in the front office. And also, I think he's going to get frustrated at the fact that he doesn't have the same level of quarterback play that he's had in the past. I think maybe both think James Winston is going to have a a good to maybe slightly above average season. But I think Michael Thomas is annoying with the fact that he he doesn't have Drew Brees under center. And that's gonna be another deciding factor that pushes him away. Yeah, I'm yeah, I think he gets traded. Don't ask me where. But I do think that I know Saints fans don't wanna hear this. But I think that they're getting close to being in rebuild mode. And I bless you. And I think that that kind of a big way to start that off would be potentially trading a Michael Thomas for the likes of a caliber, high caliber cornerback. I know that Xavier Howard and the, um, and the Dolphins seem to work out their stuff. But who's to say that if you dangle Michael Thomas in their face, that it may not entice a trade. Maybe even try to use him as leverage to get a player like Deshaun Watson. Something like that. But I do think that. The, like you mentioned, the frustration is already there. And I think that as a wide receiver who is so used to getting so much production, I think that that's going to change a lot um, with Jameis Winston and so, or especially even if Taysom Hill ends up getting the start. So, yeah, I think he ends up getting traded. I just think that in the day of social media, everybody gives their opinion, everybody gives their two cents. And so I think that more and more we're going to hear Michael Thomas's displeasure with the team and it's going to lend, um, end up being some moves being made. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some NBA. Talking about moves being made, we talked about Dennis Schroeder a lot, turning down an $80-plus million contract from the Lakers, saying that he wanted 100 to $120 million in free agency. Well, he finally signed a contract, but much less money than anticipated. Signed a one-year $5.9 million deal with the Boston Celtics. I know you and I kind of talked about this move a bit, but what are your thoughts on these? Do you think that Dennis Schroeder will be able to prove that he is worth big money with a great season with the Celtics, or do you think that he played himself past the point of no return? I think he played himself solely from the fact of, like, regardless if he signs a big contract or not during this offseason, he missed out on the opportunity to make $84 million. Yeah. Like, you don't get those opportunities often, especially with the team that's going to have championship aspirations. Like, honestly, I think him, being honest, I think him um, declining that contract was one of the key factors in pursuing helping the Lakers pursue 
Right. Because they don't, they didn't already have a lot of money attached to a point guard, so they can make a move to get a point guard. Right. And honestly, I think with the Boston Celtics, I think for them, I still think it's a bad fit because Dennis Schroeder is a scoring point guard. The Boston Celtics, they already have two scorers in Jalen Brown and Jason Taylor. I still, even though I like him in Chicago, I still bang the drum of thinking that the best point guard that would have been in Boston, that would have fit best in Boston, was Lonzo. Yeah. Because Lonzo, he can set up the offense. He doesn't necessarily um, demand the ball to score. He he actually prefers to pass. And when you have a team with guys like Jason Brown, I mean, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you want a point guard that's going to get them the ball in their spots where they love to score the most. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreeance with you. Um, and even still, like, with the Lakers, had he gotten that $84 million deal, there was no guarantee he would even be the starter. So you could be making that money coming off the bench, being the sixth man, leading that second unit, and instead you find yourself with the Celtics, which, like you mentioned, like, I don't really think it's going to be that great of a fit. I mean, we know that, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are stars in their own right. And the best thing to add would have been a distributing point guard, but instead you get Dennis Schroeder, who I feel like just is not going to work. So I'm in agreement with you. I think that this is a tough sell for everybody. But, I mean, at least for the Celtics, it's not like they had to give up a whole bunch of money to get him. And it, honestly, in terms of NBA contracts, $6 million isn't anything. That's no money. So for them, if it works out, I think it's a low-risk, high-reward type deal. And then because it's only a one-year deal, you can move on almost immediately. But I also talk some of the Warriors. We talked about Ben Simmons a bit and the potential of him being traded. One of those teams that have thought about and apparently have discussed trading him for him would be the Golden State Warriors. However, they are hesitant to do so because they worry about Ben Simmons and his ability to fit with Draymond Green potentially. So let's say that they did pull the trigger on getting a Ben Simmons. Would it work with him and Draymond Green on the court at the same time? I don't think so. No, no because they're essentially the same player. They're both do it all not even do it all. They're both utility player is type players. Like, Jamal, he's a guy that can get a rebound, he can push the break, he can initiate the offense. Ben Simmons can, can do all of those things. They're both good defenders. At this point in time, I think Ben Simmons is a better defender simply because he's younger, he's bigger, and he's more athletic than Jamal Green. But Jamal Green also has the basketball IQ on the defensive side of the ball. And I think the, uh, no, the big reason why I really don't think that the both of them would work is because of their mindset. Ben Simmons is a guy that has gotten crucified, by me included, mm -hmm. for passing up a wide open dunk that would have sealed a game, helped seal a game in the playoffs. And we both know that Draymond Green is one of the more hard, hard nosed like vocal, get in your face, like what are you doing type of people. I think if you were to have Draymond Green and Ben Simmons, it could lead to a situation similar to the Draymond Green Kevin Durant situation where a lot of people, they blew up on the sidelines and a lot of people were looking like, yo, I don't think this is the move. So 
Yeah, I hear you on that. I mean, if Draymond Green is going to give KD the business, and we know KD will take any shot, whatever, what do you think he's going to do to Ben Simmons, who won't take those shots, who isn't as aggressive? So, yeah, I think that that would be a really big thing, just kind of that mentality. Because, I mean, to play with a guy like Draymond Green, like he's probably not going to talk that much to Steph or Clay. One, because they've all been together for so long with two, because they do their jobs and they do it so well. And so I think because all of them are really – also with the trio of them really trying to get back to being in that championship conversation, they don't have time for the foolishness of somebody who's not trying to make them better. And unfortunately, with regards to Ben Simmons, that's a lot of questions of if he is that guy who really can make them better. So, yeah, no, I think that that will be a really big point of contention for them. And so, yeah, I think that – I don't see it working with both of them being on the same team. But kind of talking about – making things work. Leangelo Ball has seemed to be making the most of his opportunity with the Charlotte Hornets Summer League team. Um, he's actually been balling, had some pretty nice games. Um, and in a recent interview, he said, all of my Chino Hills stuff gets overlooked. I averaged 30 points. I averaged 30 points every game, and the big prospects and all the guys were talking about over all the guys that people were talking about. I just want to make sure that I could show them what I can do. So, new team, new environment, back with his brother. How do you think this is going to work out for Leandro? Do you think that he's earned a shot to really make the most of his Hornets opportunity and maybe even, who's to say, get into that starting lineup? I think that he's earned his opportunity. I think he's coming to try to He's coming to summer league. The first thing he came, he came in great shape. Yeah. This is the best shape that we've ever seen D'Angelo look in. Period. When he was at Chino Hills, he was the he was the best shooter, but he was always chunky. Right. And like now he's slim, he's lean, he looks like a NBA player. He looks like the type of guy that can make an impact on the on the professional level. And honestly. I think he can work out simply because we're in the day and age and you need spacing. You need the three ball. D'Angelo has been chronically known as being the best shooter of the three brothers. He, he doesn't necessarily have the ball handling and the passing ability of Lonzo and LaMelo, but he has a jumper. You can, I can easily see him being on the team in Charlotte where he can sit on the corner, sit in the corner, and get passes from his brother driving and knock down three. So I definitely think he he deserves a chance at least make the training count. Yeah, I agree with you there because kind of similar to how the preseason is for NFL players, the summer league is kind of that opportunity as well for NBA teams. Even if you don't make it with the team that you're with, that does not mean that other coaches and other scouts aren't watching you. So with his ability to really perform and if he continues to play as well as he has been, I think that that's really going to open some eyes for not just the Hornets but other teams. So, yeah, I think that if he can, you know, continue to stay in shape and continue to make the most out of this opportunity, you know, as opposed to kind of getting there and then kind of falling apart similar to what he did with the Pistons. I think that he could really do some nice things and potentially get a lot of playing time for the Hornets who are kind of they're, – they're basking in the excitement of having LaMelo. They're excited to see where he can go. 
And I think that because they're kind of riding that excitement, I think that they're willing to do whatever it takes to keep the ball rolling. And Yangelo could definitely be one of those guys that make that happen. Speaking of the ball, brothers, let's talk Alonzo, who signed with the Chicago Bulls. Um, in the, their, his introductory press conference, he talked about the opportunity to join the Bulls and said, I wanted to go somewhere I'm appreciated and can play my game. Chicago is a perfect fit for me. New teammate DeMar DeRozan talked about ball as well and said, you're going to see the best out of Lonzo this coming season. Do you agree with that? Do you think we're going to see the less, the best Lonzo ball that we've seen since he's been in the league? I think so, simply because I think that he's version of Lonzo is going to be the version where people aren't going to try to put him in this mold of what they want him to be. When Lonzo came into the league, his dad gave him a type of talk of him being better than Steph Curry. And so when you think of a person who's better than Steph Curry, you think of them as they score. Right. Lonzo has the capabilities to be a good scorer, but Lonzo is a pass first point guard. Lonzo is a guy that can initiate offense. He can play defense. He can pick you up from 94 feet and affect the game in other ways besides for Yes, he, he's now gained the ability to knock down that wide open three, but we aren't looking for Lonzo to be this um, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving type of point guard. I think with this type of, with this roster, he's going to be the guy that just facilitates the offense, takes open shots, and just makes good plays, and that's the best version of Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I think so, too, just because with the Bulls roster, I mean, we talked about it before, it's just too many uh, chefs in the kitchen, too many guys who are ball dominant who need the ball to succeed. But, I mean, that's really going to work out with him in terms of being a distributor. That will allow him, we talked about it, that allows him the opportunity to be great while passing the ball and then really shine on defense. And that's really what Lonzo's game is. You make the great point about, you know, LeVar kind of hyping him up to be even better than um, the great point guards in the league. And so because of that, it just showcases that, Lonzo came in with insurmountable expectations, but now that years have gone by, he's now on his third team in the league. And I think that of the teams that he was on, this is probably the perfect fit for him. So I'm excited to see how it works out. Am I loving what the Bulls did this offseason? Totally no, but I do think that Lonzo is a really great fit for that organization. All right, so let's go ahead and let's talk coaches, starting with Becky Harmon. She was a name that was very popular in the head coaching range. Um, we talked about her potentially being the Trailblazers head coach. She was also getting an interview for other jobs, but she did not get them. Um, and talking about those missed opportunities, Becky Harmon said this, please don't hire me to check a box. That's the worst thing you can do for me. Hire me because of my skill sets and coaching, who I am as a person. Hire me for those. So, you and I have kind of talked about it before, but do you think that Becky Harmon is going to get a head coaching opportunity in the NBA outside of the San Antonio Spurs? Um, I think it's a, it's a possibility, but I don't think it's a high possibility. I think her best chance at getting a head coaching job would be with the San Antonio Spurs, simply because she's been with the organization for what, maybe – five to six years now. Yeah. And, like, she built a rapport with those guys. And honestly, once you, <clears throat> once you get the, um, the blessing from Pop, I think this says a lot. So I think her best chance will be with the Spurs. 
Yeah, I think that, truthfully, I think that her best job opportunity would be with the Spurs. Like you mentioned, she has that longevity there. And then also with a coach like Greg Popovich, who has been with the organization for over 20 years, has had so much success, that is not easily replaceable. It's hard to just bring in, like, a college coach and just expect him to come in and coach the Spurs. Whereas Becky Harmon has been there for a number of years, even got time to serve as the interim head coach whenever Papa gets suspended or get kicked out of the games. And she's done a really nice job. She has that rapport with the players, which I think also kind of sets her apart from other possibilities, you know, at that position. So while I think that it would be amazing to see her get an opportunity to coach a different team in the league, I think that, honestly, the devil you know. And so because of her knowledge of the Spurs, I think that that would be a really nice seamless transition, especially because we hate I hate to say it, but, but as a woman, naturally she's going to go somewhere. She's not going to be taken as seriously, unfortunately. If she goes to a team that she really has no connection with, then they're really probably not going to listen to her. They're going to write her off or not think that she really knows what she's talking about as a part, as difference with the Spurs where she's been for such a long time. And I think that they, because they know her and because they built that respect for her, I think that they would be a really nice fit if she was to get that head coaching spot, which I hope she does. But in continuing with head coaches, uh, the Dallas Mavericks a few weeks ago announced that Jason Kidd would be their head coach. Now, we all know Jason Kidd as one of the most fun point guards to watch of the 2000s, but he also had a coaching stint a few places, actually, Brooklyn Nets and the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, which apparently at the Milwaukee Bucks, he had some very questionable head coaching tactics, some of which even being described as abusive. Um, and as coming up in Giannis's new biography, they talk about some of Jason Kidd's coaching practices, whether it be intense practice conditions, berating players, things like that. It is not a good look for Jason Kidd. If you're the Dallas Mavericks or the players, are you wary of those things, or is that stuff that you think is the past? I think you should be wary of it simply because you don't want that type of um, culture to be brought into your organization. Like, I believe they fully hired Jason Kidd because he really got hired to be the guy that helps Luka. Because Luka plays point guard now. He's one of the more he's one of the more dynamic point guards in the NBA. And if you have a head coach that he goes on tirades and belittles his players, you don't need that. Especially with the team where they're trying to make the playoffs. I mean not make the playoffs, they're trying to make the the finals. Right. Like you need you need everybody to be on one accord. So I think you should be a little worried definitely after this came out. I'm pretty sure that they've had conversations with them to see what's going on. Yeah. I think that I would be a little wary of it. Like you said, this is a team that wants to kind of break out of that, okay, we can make the playoffs, but let's go further. Let's make it past the first series. And I think that you really can't do that if not on accord with your head coach, especially a new head coach. And I think that the reason why they may not be too, too worried about it may just be because 
that was a few years ago. They're hoping maybe he's matured, maybe he's calmed down. But I think that in today's day and age, that if he hasn't stopped doing that stuff, we're going to hear about it immediately. And because Luca is the golden boy and clearly the face of that franchise, I feel like he's got one time to talk to Luca crazy, and I bet he's gone. So I think that, or at least for Jason Kidd's sake, that if he wants to maintain this job, unfortunately he's got to stay on Luca's good side. And if he doesn't do that, He's not going to last long. So hopefully that will kind of make some of these past behaviors go well. But all right, let's play believable or buffoonery, starting with Kevin Durant. Now, Kevin Durant has never been one of those players who tried to say that he was going to stay in the NBA forever. In fact, in an interview about when he retired, he was asked, um, and he said, 35, that's just a number in my mind. Right now, Kevin Durant is 32. Uh, last week, it was announced that he just signed a max extension with the Brooklyn Nets. So, believable or buffoonery, this last contract extension will be the last years of KD in the NBA. on that too I believe the quote don't don't quote me on this but I believe what he he said some all in lines of after a while you just don't as a student you don't have anything else to learn and he kind of compared that to his NBA career and I mean he's a multiple time NBA champion and MVP a finals MVP question the motives of how he got those rings to begin with but he still has, in terms of just being a basketball player, he's easily one of the best in the league, top five at worst, in terms of just being an overall player. And so I think that really minus those questions about, you know, his rings, I think that if he was to win a ring with the Nets, it would kind of really change that conversation. But I don't really think Kevin Durant has too much more to prove, and I don't think in three to four years, once his contract extension is over, I don't think that's magically going to change to where he feels like he just has to completely, you know, stick in the league past his prime potentially just to try to make things shape. So, yeah, I think it's believable. All right, continuing on with a former teammate of Kevin Durant, my boy, Russell Westbrook. And my new favorite question now is, how do you feel having your favorite player on your favorite team? Well, we talked about it. And he was also asked about joining his hometown Lakers in a recent interview and asked if he had anything left to prove, to which he said no. When I got drafted in the NBA, that was me proving people wrong. Go to college from the inner city, just making it out the hood was proving people wrong. That's real nice and everything, but I call buffoonery. I think that Russell Westbrook still has something left to prove in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, if you play in the NBA, your ultimate goal, especially when you're a player of Russell Westbrook's caliber, 
you want to win a championship. I think that if Russell Wilson win a championship, one championship, I think that would submit his legacy and put him in a higher status status than a lot of people play him now. Like a lot of people see Russ as like this, these different narratives to Russell Westbrook. I've even had some negative connotations associated with Russell Westbrook because of his style of play. But it's the same that a lot of athletes say. You can say everything about me, but you can't take away my championship. Right. Russ Westbrook win the championship. Yeah, I I agree with you totally on the championship stance. I think that kind of like we've seen so many great players who if they had a ring, I think conversation would be different. Case in point, Chris Paul. While we all recognize Chris Paul is a great player, he would be several levels higher than he is now if he were to get a ring. And I think that Russ is another one of those guys where like everybody – Pretty much every basketball fan has an opinion on Russell Westbrook. Either you love him or hate him. He's one of those polarizing figures to where you're going to have an opinion. And I think that with Russell Westbrook, I think that while everyone admits that he plays hard, some people view it as a bad thing. Other people view it as a good thing. But like you said, if you get a ring, nobody can really take that away from you. And so I think that that's something worth noting with regards to Russ. You know, with him being my favorite player and on my favorite team, of course I want him to get a ring. But do I think it happens? I don't – not really, but I would love to see it happen. But I do think that Russ still has something left to prove. All right, now talking about somebody who really doesn't have much to prove, Andrew Iguodala has made his return to the Golden State Warriors, which uh, Steph Curry was asked about about radio station 95.7, the game. And talking about the return of his former teammate, he said the dude's motivated. It's not just I'm coming back to be a chaperone and try to fade into the sunset in the Warrior jersey. He's actually is going to want to produce and be out there and be available throughout the year. So believable or buffoonery, we should expect expect a big year from Andre Iguodala? Um, it depends on what you define as big year. Like, if you think that he's going to be this guy that puts up 15 or 20 points a game, I don't think so. But if you, if you see him as this guy that potentially makes big plays, plays key defense, um, makes big shots, I could definitely see that. I think that his like big scoring days are over, but he's a guy that can impact the game in other ways. And I think he would be able to do that for the Warriors. Yeah, I think I like yeah, like you said, like when I think big, I'm not gonna sit here and say, Oh yeah, I think he's gonna average like twenty some a game and like six, seven assists, three, no. But I do think that he is going to be serviceable. I mean, the team, the core pieces that were there during the, those earlier championships are still there now. 
And then you bring back Iggy, and I think that just he can not, he has that leadership intangibles. He's also could be a solid scorer off the bench, which I think will really help out a lot, especially with the young guys that they're bringing in, such as Kaminga, uh, Moses Moody. He could really help coach up those guys. So I think in that instance, I think that he could really be helpful for the organization, and I guess have a big year more so in terms of just overall just being dependable. I could definitely see that. But all right, last question. We got to talk Isaiah Thomas, who this summer has been balling. In his Drew League debut, dropped 37 points. In an a, he set an AEBL record with 65 points. And just this past week in a crossover, he set a record of 81 points, which made him emotional. There's a clip of him talking about how the NBA gave up on him. And it seems the teams are no longer trying to do that. Um, Kendrick Perkins, uh, after the recent performances of Isaiah Thomas, said, the problem I have with some of the NBA front offices is that they overthink things too much. Isaiah Thomas is a damn bucket. Remember Carmelo Anthony made a lot of people look crazy when he got back into the NBA. It will be on the same with IT. Carry the hell on. So, believable or buffoonery, if Isaiah Thomas gets signed by an NBA team, he will he is going to have another breakout season. I think he will. I think the thing that a lot of people haven't noticed in these videos is he actually genuinely looks healthy. He looks like he has that burst. He looks like he has that speed that he had in his um, prime years to get past defenders. And as a guy that, like, you know, he was a guy that was written off because he didn't have that, and now he's showing the signs. I think if he were to sign to a team, whether it be the Lakers or whatever, I think he could be a guy that could come up with. I don't think he's starting MVP level out there, even with him being healthy because he's older. But I definitely think that he could be a guy that can come off the bench for a contending team and can put up 15 points a game and be a six-man of the year type of candidate. Yeah, I think so too. Oh, I'm so sorry for interrupting you. I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, I could see it as well, especially just because we talk about it all the time, but I mean, the NBA is such an offensive game that if you can put up points, regardless of who you are, regardless of if you're starting or coming off the bench, you're going to get an opportunity. And Isaiah Thomas showed in his best days, and we're seeing this summer, that he is a bucket, that he can put up those points regardless of him being 5'9". Like, he is an overall baller. And I think that there are so many NBA teams that just want that extra scoring boost off the bench that he could really put forth a great year. I'm in total agreement with you. I don't think that necessarily a team is going to be like, oh, yeah, he should start. But I do think that him coming off the bench not only will help out your bench, but also it can help preserve, preserve his health. Because one of the biggest issues over the last few years with him is that his inability to stay healthy. But most of the time he had been getting significant minutes. And I think having him come off the bench or being that sixth man, I think that that could really help out not only him, but whatever team he goes to because it could provide a nice scoring boost. Now, regards to who he ends up with, I'm not sure. I think it'd be cool to see him on the Lakers again, give him an actual try with the team, but who knows where it would end up. But, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that IT 
could really be due for a comeback season. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close this bad boy out? Um, the Ravens play tonight. I'm excited for that. Go Joe. Well, Joe Burrow's not going to play. So let's just go all my Tigers, meaning my LSU alum, my Memphis alums. Once we'll y'all ball out in the preseason as we get closer to the football season. Speaking of which, uh, with the football season coming up, be on the lookout for our fantasy football um, preview show. You know how it goes. We do it every year. I'm excited for it. This fantasy year will be pretty interesting. Um, I was telling Ethan I drafted my first team. And I'm excited to draft some more. But, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. And we will see you all next time.